The word of the Lord comes to us this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A very important word that Paul wrote and very much our theme this morning, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, beginning to read with verse 12. The body is a unit, and though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Glad that you're here. It's a good morning. Yesterday was a crazy day for our family. Uh, it started just before 8 in the morning when we dropped Lucas off at uh, some friends who would take him to his volleyball uh, tournament while Tina and I raced off with uh, Anna to her ringette game. After ringette, we shot over to the school where Lucas was playing volleyball. We had lunch, then back to the school for another volleyball game. After that volleyball game, we raced over to his basketball game and then back to the tournament to catch the last few points of uh, the semifinal, which thankfully they lost because it would have meant another game at 5 o'clock. So we got home in time for supper. After supper, we, uh, we went out to the Oil Kings game. Uh, my nephew played for the, plays for the visiting uh, Seattle Thunderbirds. So all in all, when we arrived home late at night, it was a four-sport day. A good day, a full day, tiring, but good. I played a lot of sports when I was younger. Now I just enjoy watching or coaching Lucas and Anna, even junior hockey or professional sports of almost any kind. There's something very enjoyable when teams um, of any level, really, they, they, they really get it, and they put it together and do exactly what they're supposed to do. 
when every player is doing his or her part. In volleyball, a good first pass to the setter really starts it off. If that goes wrong, then everybody starts to scramble and it falls apart right there. But if it's a good pass, the setter is in place and he can pick his spot and he can either put a quick set in the middle for the middle hitter or push it outside for the power hitter uh, to just pound away at that ball. Every team sport requires that every player play their position and execute their role on the team. And that's a very simple formula for winning teams and really the growth and development ultimately of each individual player because together they help each other grow and become better at what they're doing. This morning we continue our fall 3G series. We spent some time in September trying to really get a handle on grace, understanding it and experiencing it. God's amazing grace. Grace that He extends to us so that we can be rescued from the pain and the price of our sin by the One who loved us beyond measure. Not because of anything that we have ever done or could ever do, but simply because of the loving action of a gracious and loving God. And when we come to faith in Jesus and acknowledge our sin and our need of a Savior, He comes to our lives, to our hearts, and He forgives us, and He enters into our lives to start a new life in us. So what more can we say but simply thank you? And so we've had grace, and we've had gratitude, and lately we've been focusing on growth. Because of what Jesus did for us, it should be our desire to continue to grow in this relationship with Him. And this aspect of growth has been this focus for the past few weeks and will be for at least a few more. But one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith that that we need to wrap our minds around this morning is that while we may come to faith in Christ individually and personally, we live it out collectively and corporately with others then who are also following Jesus. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone or in isolation. We need a team. We need teammates. We need others to encourage us, to pray with us, to help us grow in our faith. And God, in His wisdom, gave us a team, a family called the church. The church is the body of Christ. Throughout the Bible, there's many, many pictures of the church. But most clearly, the most prominent one is the body of Christ, where it is understood that Christ is the head and therefore is responsible for the growth and the guidance of the body. And ultimately, every member then functions under his leadership and dependent on each other. Uh, Pastor Ken is not the head of TCC. The the elders are not the head of TCC, as it were. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, and we all come under His authority and submit to Him. This passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 27, is a, a great verse, and really the key verse in this whole passage that I want us to grasp is the very last one, verse 27 where Paul simply reminded the Corinthians, he says, Now you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So the question we want to just simply ask is, who is he talking about? Who is the you that he's referring to? 
Who is he writing about? Who is he writing to? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, at the very beginning of the letter, Paul says this, I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Jesus Christ, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so this understanding of the body of Christ God has designed our bodies, the human body, and that's what he's using this as, a, as an analogy here, in such a way that our bodies become a model for understanding how God has designed the church. Where every part is a part of the others. You cannot just sort of disconnect digits or you know, feet or anything apart from the body, for then it ceases essentially to be a part of that body. It's not whole, but God designed it so that all of this is together and working, whether it's the parts we see or the, the parts we don't see. Each piece has been purposely put there, except for maybe an appendix or a spleen or something like that that we can live without. I've never quite understood that. But So the analogy can maybe break down a little bit. I better be careful. But it's very clear that every piece has been purposely put there by God. And so Paul is using the human body to compare the church and how the body functions. And this isn't the only time and the only place that he mentions this. In Ephesians chapter 4, he just simply says, there is one body. And in Colossians 3.15, he says, we're members of one body. And so what he's saying is that if we belong to Jesus then we essentially also belong to each other. Galatians 8, verse 28, he says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what our background is or our ethnicity or our socioeconomic background, nothing. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in him, then you are part of the body of Christ that God has assembled on this earth. And it's a very straightforward picture. It's a very helpful one, I think, to help us understand that. That all the parts are different, and yet while all the parts are different, it doesn't in any way change the body's basic unity. It, it actually increases it. That every body part has a job to perform. Some parts appear maybe to have a more important job than others. But every part needs the others. The whole body is made up of diverse parts, each with a distinctive and unique function, right? The hands are for grasping, the, the nose for smelling, the, the feet for walking, and so on. And the body is this perfect picture of unity in diversity. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul several times makes it clear that even though there are these many parts, they form one body. And in verse 12, Paul makes, right at the very beginning of the passage that Pastor Ken read for us, a, a fairly startling comment. He starts it out by saying, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Why is that so startling? Because we would expect Paul to say, if he was using the body as analogy, to say, so it is with the church. 
And so in other words, Paul isn't just saying that the church is like a human body made up of all of these diverse parts. For Paul, the body of Christ is not just a metaphor or a helpful word picture, but it also conveys the reality that Jesus dwells in and among his people. And he gives life to them. In order to accomplish his work on our earth, Jesus had a body of flesh and blood. And in order to continue to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus has a body that consists of human beings like you and me. And as Christians, we now are, in essence, the hands and feet of Jesus today. Wherever we go, we bring Christ to that place. But one of the things that's so helpful for me and I think so important for us to understand when we think of this, this body of Christ, and if there's one thing that I think is made perfectly clear throughout this passage is this. We need each other. Can't state it any simpler than that, I think. It's just we need each other. Because if you think of Paul's body metaphor, where all the parts are interdependent and they play an an important role in the overall health of the body, the the message of 1 Corinthians 12 is that then everyone is valuable. Everyone is important. This was God's plan. And there's no question in my mind that this is the way that God intended it. Throughout these verses, we're told that God arranged it this way, that God combined the parts this way, that God in His wisdom designed us not as you know, well-rounded, multi-talented, thoroughly complete and independent people. No, He made us so that we would need each other and that each of us ultimately brings something of value. Contrary to what the world may communicate, is, you know, we are not self-sufficient. The church is not a place to say, you know, I did it my way. As one person put it, we don't have it all together but together we have it all. And that's why I can say to you this morning, simply friends, we're all in this together. We are all a part of the body of Christ. And when we forget this or move away from this, the body of Christ, the church, it stops working the way that it was designed to work. And in these verses in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul identifies two harmful attitudes that undermine the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. And the first of these is simply an inferiority complex. In verses 15 and 16, the the body parts enter into a conversation with each other. Paul's a master teacher. And so the foot starts to talk to the hand. He says... If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not a hand. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm not as important as the hand. I'm just, I'm just a foot. I'm not as important. That does not make it any less a part of the body. And the verse goes on. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, that, would that make it any less a part of the body? And so the foot is basically saying, well, you know what, I, I really don't belong. I'm just not as important as the hand. 
You know, and if, and if we're honest, perhaps that's one of the things that keeps us from really connecting deeply within the body of Christ, the church. Because we think to ourselves, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not that important. I, I won't be missed. I'm nobody. I just make the coffee. Oh, hold the phone. I mean, really, the coffee? That, that's pretty important around here, right? Whatever our, our role is, God has uniquely designed you and gifted you to play an important role, your specific role in the church. And he has specifically put you in your place to do what only you can do. And so we can't have this sort of inferiority complex and say, ah, it's not that important, you know, there's lots of things for people to do, and I, you know, it's all taken care of. Believe me, there is something for every one of us to do at any given time, and it's not always within the context of a Sunday morning. Because remember what I said earlier, you are, a body of, you are part of the body of Christ. When you show up at work on Monday, uh, tomorrow morning, you are bringing Christ to that place. You have a role to play there, whether it's as a, as a teacher or an engineer, and uh, whatever your role is. A nurse, you are there to represent Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that place. We all play a part in this. Well, there's another harmful attitude and it's the opposite of an inferiority complex. It's a superiority complex. I can't even say that. Superiority. There we go. Obviously, the, the opposite of this first harmful attitude. Because whenever we claim superiority, we devalue others. Again, Paul has the body parts talking to each other. This is verse 21 now. The eye can never say to the hand, well, I don't need you. Or the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You know, rather than saying, well, I don't belong, this attitude says, you don't belong. You're not as important as I am. The eye is saying, I can see just fine without you, feet. I don't need you. This independence and self-reliance ultimately destroy community within the body of Christ. But it is a real gift to the community when we say, I need you. I welcome you into my life. I want you to be a part of me. Because when we do this, we value the gifts of everyone else instead of devaluing them. So what this leaves us with is a final attitude that we need to assume, really, and that is an attitude of interdependence and interreliance. Interreliance means that you are incomplete without me and I am incomplete without you. That you need me and I need you. We, we need each other. And that is how God has arranged the body of Christ. That according to verse 25, its parts, all of the sum, total sum of its parts, they should have equal concern for each other. They should have equal concern for each other. This here is a specific command to share in the suffering and the joy of others. That each part of the body needs all the others to function. Neither can any part be jealous of another. 
Rather, each part has the same concern for all of the others as the part would have for itself. So in the body of Christ, as others suffer, we suffer with them. As if their pain was ours. As others receive honor, we we rejoice with them without envy, knowing that we share in the praise, in their praise to God. So each part must have respect and sympathy for all the others. Over this past year, a couple of our close personal pastoral friends in Ottawa were diagnosed and treated for prostate cancer. And um, uh, our friend Rick is a pastor of... uh, Actually, both our friends that have prostate cancer are named Rick. And um, he's pastor of a big church in in Ottawa. And... uh, you know, of course, when he was diagnosed, it was a shock and, you know, what that all meant for him. And uh, we have friends that attend the church and they told us about the Sunday that Rick came and basically publicly announced that he had to step down for a time while he was going to be treated for prostate cancer, that they just spontaneously and, you know, uninhibited just stood and gave him the, this amazing standing ovation. Why? To celebrate that he had prostate cancer? Absolutely not. It was to stand with him and to say, we are standing with you. We're here for you. Because as one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And so they stood with their pastor as he had to step out of the pulpit for that season and go through all of that. Sort of one of the things that sort of motivated me to, to try this, it's a bit of a whim, you know, um, raising awareness and funds for uh, cancer in general and prostate cancer specifically. But that's one of the things that we do. We stand with each other. And I, I, was, I said to Tina, I go, I wonder if at the church there all the guys are doing the Movember thing. Maybe they are. I'll have to find out. Have you seen the movie Mr. Holland's Opus? Great movie, especially if you're a teacher, Right? music teacher that always dreams of wanting to be uh, a, a symphony writer and he's working on this symphony and that he just starts teaching school to basically pay the bills and 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 help you know raise their child and, and the story goes you know year after year and uh, he ends up staying there because he can never kind of get out of teaching and he becomes a great teacher and works with some kids that should never be playing an instrument and uh, uh, just encourages them and challenges them. And it's this amazing thing. And at the very end of the movie, you know, when he, they're basically cutting funding and they're going to cut music from the school and he's kind of going to basically retire. And they organized this way to honor him. And they brought all these musicians back. And uh, they played the symphony or the, the, the Mr. Holland's opus that he had been working on for all of these years. I watch that movie and I, I can watch every time I start to choke up because I just see basically a, a school body, a little different than a body of Christ, but the point is the same. Them standing and honoring this person. We often have the privilege of announcing baby births and we applaud, we celebrate, we congratulate the people. Last week we announced uh, Robbie and Ashley Jackson had given birth to Chase Robert. Is that right? Did I get that? And I say that because you're right there, you know? Are you, is he sleeping? 
Yeah, we don't want to disturb them, but, you know, because we rejoice with them. It's a great thing. When people are going through grieving times, we grieve with them. I got to tell you this story. This is a great story, and some of you already heard this, but um, Lance Radke, who's doing PowerPoint for us this morning. Have you guys heard this story? Am I going to bore you? A few of you, maybe. He was at the Eskimo game on Friday night, and I guess at the last home season, the Eskimos have this promotion where it's called kick, pass, and punt. And the object is, is you start on one goal line, and you have to use all three of those. So you have to kick it off the ground, wherever it lands from that point, you then have to punt it, and then wherever that lands from that point, you have to throw the ball. And uh, if you get it there, there's a significant prize. Lance is very athletic. I understand his whole family was stuffing the ballot box with his name. He gets picked. And he kicks it to, I think, the 40-yard line. You can fill, if I get this wrong, I've kind of heard this through, uh, through secondhand, but kicks it to the 40-yard line. Punts it, I think, to the next 40-yard line. Is that right? So he's just got to throw 39. Sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> Tyler was there. It was important. That yard is going to come very important. And then he has to throw the ball from the 39-yard line in. Now, I understand, to put it in perspective, that all the years that they've been doing this, I don't know how many years they've been doing it, the furthest anybody has ever gotten is to the other 40-yard line. So 70 yards total. Lance is at the 39-yard line, and he steps up to throw the ball and just slips out a little. Lands two yards short. Two yards short of $100,000. Right? <laughs> now he still won a little prize. If he'd won it, we could rejoice with him. But we share in his sorrow and his suffering. Friends, we don't have it all together. We don't. And let's not pretend that we do. But together we have it all. Or to use Paul's summary in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So let me just touch on a couple of real practical things that we can hang our hats on. First of all, I think if we're going to approach this and understand this and personalize this ourselves, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we need others to help us grow. You, you can't do this on your own. Okay? Um, Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's a true proverb that, that we sharpen each other when we speak truth into each other's lives. That's what Ephesians 5, uh, sorry, 4, 15, and 16 says. It says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love. And look at the context of this. And when we speak the truth in love, growing... In every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Again, the body, each part, doing its part. 
And the key to that is speaking the truth in love. And one of the things that I've discovered is that we will typically emphasize one or the other. We'll be so truthful that we're hurtful and unloving. Or we'll be so loving that we ultimately end up not being very truthful and we sort of skirt around the issues. All of us have blind spots. All of us have weaknesses that we fail to see ourselves. And if we would just extend an invitation to others around us to say, I invite you, I give you permission to speak truth into my life. If you see something that you think is kind of off track, tell me, because I probably don't see it myself. The trouble is so often we become so defensive and we know how we react when somebody speaks truth to us and then we don't want to do it. But friends, I'm telling you, this is one of the most important things that we could learn and practice as a body is speaking the truth in love. There's a balance there and it's a fine line and sometimes we'll step over one way and, 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 and kind of miss the point and we have to revisit it or whatever. But the point is we practice it, we do it. We're never going to be perfect at anything. Try any sport, any athletic endeavor. You, you didn't just step on the field or the court and do it. So even in the church, speaking the truth in love, we need to practice that. And the key to our growth is then being open to the truth that others may speak in our lives. We may not like it at times, right? But we need it, and so we should welcome it, invite it. The second thing that we need to do is discover our unique role. What is it that you bring to the table? To find a specific ministry role, and as the old Nike slogan said, just do it. And we're going to expand on this idea of ministry gifts in a future sermon in this, uh, in this series. But for now, it's just simple to understand, right? You ought to be very thankful that I'm not up here leading singing or playing drums, okay? I have no rhythm, and I can't carry a tune. That would be a bad thing for me to do. Okay? But I'll find my role and I'll do it. You find your role and you do it. And we all contribute to the health and vitality of a church body. And lastly, I'm going to invite you to intentionally connect with others. Again, we all are part of the body of Christ. But you've been looking at the back of someone's head that you probably have not met before. You may look around and you go, there's a lot of people here I've never met. You may be very new. You may be here for the first time. That's okay. But that's where this becomes very practical. You can meet with two others, and that's one of the things we encourage at TCC is triads. Three people, men with men, women with women, coming together in a healthy and life-changing way, opening our lives to each other and coming together in relationships that will move us toward maturity. These are relationships that are long on grace but a great vehicle to be able to speak the truth in love. If you want more information about that, we have on the information table just a little sheet that you can take that explains more about what it is. We don't organize this as a church. We don't do it. We just encourage it. You find the people. You organize it. You find a time that's suitable for you to meet at any time of the week. It's not anything scheduled. Find some time for that. The other way that we can connect with others at TCC is through home groups. And this is where we can really practice and experience authentic community where we're loving one another and accepting one another and caring for one another and serving with one another and serving one another, sharing with one another, encouraging one another. We never want to be relationally isolated 
on this, or on this journey of faith alone. The encouraging word and, and presence of others in our lives will help us to grow. Being mutually accountable to one another will help us each to grow. And that's what this is all about. Our journey as followers of Christ is that we're growing and becoming more like Jesus in our attitudes and action. This is just basic discipleship where we want to become more like Jesus and we invite others to join us in the journey to that end. You and me and all of us as disciples of Jesus, learning and growing and changing together. I'm going to give the final word to Eugene Peterson this morning who captured this so well in the message in Romans chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Listen to the, how, these words. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of this body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing others with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Perfect summary.